Because the reality is we're going to be wrong on a lot of things, right? If, we, if we're playing by baseball rules, 30% of the time we might be right. Uh, and that's good on what the customer problem is, how they use it, whether we, whether they can make sense of it, the for product risk, all that stuff. Then the question becomes, how quickly can you react to that change? And if your reaction to that change, whatever that change is, takes months and sign-offs and committees and everything else, you're not going to be able to be responsive in the market, which means you're going to lose. Welcome to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello, everybody. Grant Hunter here with another Product Growth Leaders topic of the week. Steve, we, we have our, our clients come to us because they're trying to get better. And we started having some interesting conversations about the maturity level, right, of an organization, right? As a company starts adopting product management, maybe the Maslow's hierarchy of needs on the bottom is just a common language, right? But as we sort of aspire to move up that pyramid, become more enlightened, it, I almost feel like the goal is to get to product success ongoing, right? How do we make this thing something that repeats, that that's, we, we're doing it on purpose with intention. You know, where, where's your head around that? Well, I've always felt that product management was the, 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 uh, the key to scaling a business. Uh, and I've been talking with teams for decades now. And one of the terms I hear most often is chaos. You know, we don't have standard language. We don't have uh, common tools, methods. Uh, everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. You know, you learn from Pragmatic and I learned from a, a webinar and that person learned from reading my book, available on Kindle, Turn Ideas into Products. Um, <laughs> anyway, we all learn from a myriad places, but, you know, May and some others on this call have certainly uh, engaged with us on standardizing uh, with product ops or uh, removing the chaos by defining uh, roles and processes and so forth. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think we would all want to be uh, more purposeful, more systematic, uh, more uh, driven to success than most organizations allow us to be. Yeah, so what we did this week is decide, how do we do this? How do we make product successful, product success repeatable? And on Monday, <clears throat> we put this question in the, in the community. How can you make delivering product success repeatable? And May, you're getting the consulting thing, coming with a nice list of four things. So talk to me about your four sides to making product success repeatable. I think in order to get to a point that we can consider success, there's like four things that you really can't do without, right? So one is a vision and a strategy, because if you don't have a direction for where you're going, like what is success, right? 
Uh, second one is set targets and measure that success. So you have a target, you have like a direction, general vision, and you're like, okay, let's set targets. Maybe these are OKRs, maybe these are something else. Um, but you can't have success unless if you set a target, really, unless if you're just lucky, right? Um, and the third thing is to prioritize. So, you know, you set a target in a direction and you have like 500 things to do at any given time and you're never going to actually focus on the things that get you there. And the fourth thing I think is people, right? You need the right people to get you there. Um, and are you addressing the roadblocks that your people are facing? Um, and I think those are the four primary, like, very core fundamental things. There's, you know, the day-to-day -day things that you have to do anyways. Um, but I think those are the four pillars. But the thing about those four is that there's a last thing, which is adapting to change. Because at any point in time, in the journey of your organization, of, of your product, things are going to change, right? So how are any of these four things changing to adapt to the market or the workplace, you know, moving to remote or the organization overall, the different types of people, the needs of the people and the desires of the people? No, I, I love that. And I think one of the key things with setting targets and measuring success is don't just set the target, but also put together what our plan is to get to that target. Because I've seen people set financial targets and make it out of, with bluebirds coming in, right? These these big deals that, that nobody planned on. Oh, we did it. We hit our number, but we didn't hit it intentionally, right? We hit it by luck, as you said. So not only have it, but have sort of, I used to do when I was at a really, really big company, we used to do these step charts. It's like, here's where our revenue is. Here's what we expect to lose. Here's how we're going to make up the revenue. Here's our initiatives. Here's where it's going to come from. That way we're intentional about it. We, we have a plan, but I, I love the four vision and strategy, set targets and measure success, prioritize, people, and then that fifth one of adapt and change. Thank you, May. That was awesome. <clears throat> Jason Weber, you you talked a little bit about uh, luck as well, random in, you know, sort of around with luck. We can state that we used all the correct tools and we're successful. Let's face it, successful products is sometimes a random thing at a company. Talk to me about your head when it comes to this. Well, the, the challenge is there's a thousand things can stop a product from being successful. And you know, all those things are great for if you've got a bit more of a mature company, but a lot of companies are not mature when it comes to launching products. And, uh, you know, they use the spaghetti method where they throw it against the wall or an executive talk to another executive that had a problem and all of a sudden that becomes the next priority, that sort of a thing. So when you do have a success, I think it's really important to study why it was successful and also why other ones haven't been successful in your company. Because it, you may have the right product as far as you're solving a customer problem, but your company may not be able to deliver on it, or your channel may not know how to sell it, or, or, or there's so many things that can get in the way of a product being successful, that as you try to scale, <clears throat> you know, make more successes, you really have to understand what your company is good at, but also really importantly, what your company is not good at. And once you do that, you then have to, and this is the hardest part, convince the executives what you're good at and what you're not good at. And because if you don't do that, they're going to keep pushing. And this is my experience at a couple of large customer companies. My experience is if you don't get them in the right direction, they're going to keep pushing you to do things that 
you you may even know in your gut is going to fail. But <clears throat> so you really have to do that. You have to study your failures. You've got to study your successes and figure out what the company's really good at and what not it's not good at in order to be able to have any chance of having repeatable success. I, you know, I think that's such a, even I probably don't talk about it enough. And I think it's so important. I was talking with a, a guy who is a, he helps companies scale and grow uh, with a <clears throat> pinnacle of business advisors and amazing guy. And we're talking strategy. He goes, there's one thing that I have found that most people forget about that is most important. It's about understanding what are you good at? What are your competitive advantages? And if, you know, one route, and he said the most important thing to, to ongoing success is truly understanding that and leaning into that and the decisions you make, because you can do that. So I think that I, I too often may think process and strategy and that type of stuff. And I guess it's part of strategy, but really understanding your competitive advantage and leaning into that, I think is such a critical uh, way to go. Leah, you you sort of did a yes and with Jason. Talk to me about your take and your view. Yeah, I I picked the product lifestyle management one out of all well, of them. That, 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 that's the poll coming up. This is the Friday question. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, and I do want to have that conversation when we get there because we were together on that. I feel like they, go, they blended well together. Yes. Um, yeah, I think there are processes you can follow that you know, it, as long as you do them, you will get the information that you need to make good product decisions, such as strategy, uh, such as meeting with customers, doing interviews, conducting market research, doing competitive analysis, all these processes you can continue to repeat. You'll get new information and whatever information you get can change you know, your next move. But doing those processes, I think helps make your product success repeatable yep. in general, yeah. So making this repeatable approach, so make sure we're at least, and I know process can be a, a bad word sometimes in the product yeah. management space, but mm -hmm. it's making, you know, getting at least to an, you know, I think Steve and I, when we were talking about it was an 80% approach, right? You know, if, if there's 80% similarity in how people are doing it and so people don't have to relearn, you can remove that friction, you can remove that chaos. Uh, so, yeah, awesome. it, yeah. And, and just, I guess my yes and too was, even if you make a bad product decision and you don't succeed, you can use those learnings and keep applying them and keep doing the processes while remembering, you know, your past mistakes and past failures, taking that into consideration. Awesome. And I'm going to use this as a two-part transition to Corey. Uh, Corey, because you're the one who leaned into it and the reason I read the book, uh, Annie Dukes, uh, she talks about sometimes you make the right decision and you don't get the result you want. And so part of the learning and part of that going back in the retrospect to me has to be, how do we go back and make sure that, gosh, we would still make the same decision. We just maybe executed poorly or something that was unknown happened and use that. But also as your answer was map and improve the system. So talk to me about sort of this, how do we make sure, even if we had the bad result, we know we'd, you know, we, did we make the right bet and, and your thoughts on mapping and improving the system? Yeah, I, that's the first thing. I, I mean, there's two things I generally have my go-to start with. St story mapping is one, and then uh, value stream mapping is the second one. And that's what that is, is mapping your system of product yeah. delivery or product 
thinking or company, whatever it is, from idea to delivery, um, what are the steps that have to happen? How long do those steps take? How many steps are there? I've made things that are like 113 steps to get a product out the door. And guess what? That sucks, but that's reality. So if your product process has 113 steps to go from concept to delivery, uh, you know, can you get through that? First question. <laughs> can you get through all 113 steps to deliver something? If you can, how long did that take you? Um, there are several places where A, they couldn't get all the way through it and they couldn't release anything, or B, they could get through it once, but to get through it again, yeah. impossible. They couldn't do it. So again, take 113 steps. My first goal is cut it in half. Um, if it takes you six months to get something out the door, how could you do it in three months? What could you do in three months? Um, and then improve the system. Look for the points where there's delays in the system. Usually when you want to create something, the creation process or the creation part is not the long uh, item, the one that's taking the, the longest amount of time. It's where the work sits waiting for something to happen or a decision is waiting to be made. Oh, we've got this thing that we're trying to release to customer, but the approval is by the committee that only meets quarterly and we just missed the last one. So it's going to be four months before we can make a decision on whether this is the right thing to do. That oh, is your you, product you, you, process. You've, you've, you've worked at GE before. I've every, not everybody, a lot of places work like that structurally. And yeah, it sucks. I know they do. It does. And, and, and I love this idea of, I'm going to borrow a term from Steve, minimal viable process, right? How do we get that playbook? How do we get those steps to be just the minimal viable process and artifacts that we need to, to reduce some of those frictions? And there's so much process for process sakes, stage gates for stage gate set. Uh, sake. And I believe that you need some level of gating, uh, but I think that's too often there's there's too much that's brought in there. Uh, Corey, awesome. Thank you. Uh, Ruby, I mean, Jason, Vincelet, uh, love to get your take. Did not answer the question on Monday. No, you didn't. I know. Sorry. That's okay. Um, I was coming off a cruise. Well, oh, rough life. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's interesting because I was looking at the question here and it's um, first, obviously, what is product success? And then it seems like, well, a lot of us are talking about is delivering product features. Like how do we make delivering product features and I guess the success of delivering repeatable. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, it's all about user adoption, right? And I think what, what, what I'm seeing a lot in the market right now is um, in the B2B world, consumers, uh, customers that are buying enterprise products and B2B products are not getting them after they buy them. And in product management, we're just like, let's put out more widgets successfully. And um, the customer is like, I would like to use your product, <laughs> you know, um, and it can take six months, seven months, eight months. So I'm going to go back and say, you know, it's all about cross matrix. You know, in my, in my world, product success means that the customers are getting what they're paying for as soon as possible for a lower time to value which means you have to work outside of features and you have to talk to your product marketing group, your professional services organization, your, your sales organization, and see what's keeping that from happening. Your product being in the hands of the users that are paying for it is going to create success. Once you have that process in place, repeating that to make sure that you're always getting the latest and greatest in the hands of your consumers um, as fast as possible is critical. No, I love this idea of making sure the value you're creating for them is there because then that's, that happens when they use it. 
and understand that. That's great. Dominic, you said you didn't want to repeat some of the great insights because uh, success means something different to each people. And you created a nice uh, you know, list of four or five things. Talk me through where your head is with this. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm not going to repeat what we've just went through. The yeah. one thing I'd like to add is, uh, along with process, is like May was saying early on, people, right? And people is roles and responsibilities. Clarifying who does what in this whole process is so critical as a cross-functional team, because it's not just on the product manager to get the you know uh, product success. is uh, enterprise-wide, right? It's a team sport. And I think roles and responsibilities, clarification, clarification of roles and responsibilities is so critical. And uh, so I'm, I'm in a big organization and we spend so much time clarifying roles, roles and responsibilities. It's just amazing, right? And the reason why we're spending so much time, we are transforming. So, and we're not just transforming in one area of the business, we're transforming in many areas of the business. And having this, I mean, simple racy, right, is absolutely critical. No, I think getting those roles aligned. And then, Steve, oh, go ahead, Dominic. Yeah, and, and, and sec second item is document, right? Because people are moving from area to area. So documenting everything that we go through and that we learn as we move forward, right? Like May was saying about adapting, right? Uh, is critical too. So if when somebody gets that promotion or move to something else, when somebody comes in, have that documentation so they know where they are and there's it, they can pick it up and run with it. I love that, Dominic. Steve, I was going to go to the roles and responsibility. What was it like that only 21% of organizations have clarity in roles? Correct. To, um, which is amazing, right? And and so often when we are doing like a roles and responsibilities thing, we find all sorts of people think they are responsible for things that other people are actually responsible for. And just even, even if the answer is wrong, right? Uh, as long as we, we have only one person responsible for it or one role responsible for it, even if that's not the right role, is better than everybody doing a little bit of it and nobody doing it well. No, I agree. And I, I, I like the new rebranding, the roles and responsibilities thing. That was a joke, Steve. Sorry. That's okay. I was, I was Brent, already thinking ahead to a clever reply. <laughs> Brenda, welcome to the call. We'd love to get your take on how can you make delivering product success repeatable? Oh, well, that's a really good question. Um, I agree with pretty much what everybody said, um, but I think getting input from all of the stakeholders, from all of the different um, people within the organization, your support team, your marketing, and making sure that you are getting or delivering what the customer really wants and needs. Um, yep. I think too often we kind of get stuck in our own heads, developing something that we think that they're going to want. And when we deliver it, it's not really what they wanted in the first place. I, so, I call it the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, yeah. Instead of voice in the cornfield. But I think yeah. that, you know, that sort of aligns very well with where Jason was, right? Yeah. If it, it all should start and end with knowing the customer and the, their problems and the markets and, and making a, a really good product that they desire, that, they, that solves their problems, right? <laughs> And I like what Steve said, you know, about roles and responsibilities. I worked for an organization where we had very clear, distinct 
roles and responsibilities. And some people would do their part and then go, not my responsibility, not in my job description. And that is uh, a challenge to overcome as well, because sometimes those lines are, can be a little fluid. So that's where I think the, 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 the extended parts of the RACI really come in the consulted, or I've seen some people say support, use S for support uh, and informed. You know, that's a way where we should be defining that collaboration, right? Who's involved in this activity? Who owns it? They're doing it, but who are the people who need to be involved to make sure people are doing it? And I doubt that you'd ever go through a RACI exercise in an organization and have somebody only show up as an R and an A and never show up as a C or an I, right? We need to make sure that, you know, we're all helping and handing off and collaborating uh, to do that. Dutch. I'd love to get your take. I, and again, we're, we've had a ton of great answers. So if you say, if you, if you feel, you know what, nothing new to add, great. But I want to give everybody a chance to sort of on this topic, add their insights or context. Yeah, uh, I, I did end up responding in the, in the group um, earlier this morning on this, but basically, you know, it kind of doesn't, it's important, but when you're talking about, um, the product itself, it doesn't matter whether you have actually created something that was right initially. It's a matter of making sure that, that stays right long term. So if you're talking about repeatable processes, it's a matter of that ongoing analysis and um, strategy of making sure that what you have is is still the right thing. So the, the growth, the the expansion, the you know enhancement of features. The improvement of the things. I think those are the processes that don't get uh, successfully repeated because they're almost an afterthought because you're always trying to go, hey, we got a big bang here. We got a whole brand new feature. Well, what about just making sure that the existing features are still relevant to your user base? Yeah. I, I, I love that because there's so much effort many companies put on this new product introduction. Yeah. And then once it's introduced, they, they, most of the discovery goes away and they just are sort of, you know, flying blind where we need to make sure we're out there and understanding. And this sort of is building from what Jason and Brenda talked about uh, to make sure we're always building things that are valuable, uh, things that people want to use. Awesome. Right. Thanks, Dutch. Joy, any, any two cents to add? Uh, just that, you know, everybody's been talking about a process and, and my input would just be put a process in place and follow it and make sure everybody follows it. I've worked at companies where they brought in pragmatic and then they didn't roll it out. It was like, it was just like a vacation taking the classes and then they didn't do anything about it or one team will follow it and, and the other teams won't just put in a process, make it standardized, whatever works for you. There's a lot of processes out there and, and then follow it and pivot if you need to. Um, Absolutely. Awesome. Richard. So I agree with everything I've heard. The only thing I'd add is timing, right? If you're not timing your releases to your customer's budget and buying cycles, doesn't matter what you release because no one's going to buy it. I love that idea. I, I think that's so you're saying you release products in sync with the market, not in sync with the development team. Right. I and mean, you, you know, can be know done with it and sit on it for three to six months. I right? know somebody but, who's been teaching that for decades. 
Yeah, it doesn't do you any good to have uh, Halloween candy available in November. It does good to me because then I can get all those Reese's Halloween pumpkins for like half price. Exactly. <laughs> any other thoughts, Richard? No, I just wanted to add that one and everyone else had some great comments. So Awesome. Well, all the pressure is going to go on DJ now because now we've already had eight or nine answers and now he has to come up with something prophetic. Oh, no pressure. Um, I was just jotting down four things here. I, I think with, with Jason's response, you know, the consultant's answer depends on how we define product success. I think he and I and a lot of us are cut from the same cloth in terms of, you know, time to value, um, sort of that approach. Um, the one thing I've I did call it that might be slightly different is just aligning on what product is as a function and understanding and establishing that function within the organization. Um, that's something I, it's more organizational than I think product operations or how we intake ideas and actually deliver products. So it's more, you know, this is something that I encountered at Fanatics was in terms of, you know, being more of an engineering led organization rather than a product led organization. And I think having a strong foundation of what product is and the value that it delivers within the organization is, I think, uh, important to establishing a repeatable, you know, delivery of successful products. Um, the other, the other two things that I jotted down um, was, you know, it's maintaining that that steel-threaded connection and relationship with your with your customers, and also maintaining a, a finger on the pulse of the of the market. Uh, which we've we've touched on. So those four things. I, I love it. And I think that you know, your second one of this defining, you know, too often we find that people don't understand the value of, of product management. Uh, you know, Steve mentioned it in, in the intro. It's right. We think that product manage, a, a good product management organization is, is essential for helping achieve product success intentionally, right? Repeatably. Uh, because we're, there, there's, it, it brings some process to it, ensures we're working on the right things, and it empowers the other stakeholders and people downstream from us to do what they need to do. Uh, and, and I think part of it is that people don't understand that too often. It, it's hard to understand and understand this strategic product management role uh, that we talk about, that we write about. Steve, any last thoughts on this question before we head to the poll? Well, I'm just reminded of a story I tell in one of my classes. Um, I was doing a visit with a client up in the Boston area, and I had been assured that, every, well, it doesn't really matter, background. Um, anyway, I was doing a goal, a, a, roles, a, a roles and responsibilities assessment, and I started with, you know, let's start with an easy one, you know, researching market problems. Now, we all know that's going to be product manager. And then there was a riot in the room as the sales team that I didn't even know was in the room uh, said, oh, no, no, no. Product managers aren't allowed to leave the building. You know, they, they don't have nice suits. Um, and I said, well, let's talk about who does this. And they're like, sales does it. And I said, really? How's that working for you? You know, great consulting line. Uh, and, they, and, and they said, oh, yeah, we're doing great. I'm getting to my point. Um, I said, tell me about a recent customer interaction. And they said, oh yeah, we were talking just yesterday to our dealer. And I'm like, uh, that's not a customer. Tell me about a customer. And it turns out no one in the room, product management, marketing, sales, executives, no one 
had ever talked to somebody who actually used their product. And getting alignment on who is going to actually be the expert on the market and the customer's problems uh, is critical. And, and if, if the answer is sales, then you've chosen wrong. It could be, an, we should be gathering intelligence from them because they're seeing stuff on a regular basis, but we can then look at an aggregate and see where those trends are. Right, right. I mean, salespeople have an incredible capacity for uh, amnesia. Yes, they do. Well, what a great conversation on that Monday question. We're going to go to the Wednesday poll. Uh, <clears throat> which part of product success is hardest to make repeatable? Product strategy, doing the right things, product planning and execution, creating the right things, go to market planning, execution, take to market the right things, and product lifecycle ma management, evolve and grow the right things. And gosh, I really wish Paul Hatala was on the call because he actually quoted one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride, uh, in his answer. He said, uh, in my current role, I, find, I still find myself quoting the Princess Bride when people talk about strategy. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> and I, just for that last, Steve, I wanted Paul to be here to tell that story. But, I, uh. you know, product strategy did come out as the, the, the hardest, 42%. Uh, product lifecycle management and, in, in, you know, I want to dig into this, Leah, with you, sort of how you differentiate between these two. Uh, is second at 21%. Product planning and go-to-market planning are tied at 14%. So Leah, you said that you wanted to go into this. Uh, you already tried to jump into it when talking about the Monday question. Oh, that's so excited. <laughs> talk to me about, uh, talk to me about how you see the difference. I think the biggest difference is that with all these other things, you know, you you find the root problems and you try to build your strategy and do things around this root problem. With product lifecycle management, you have customers actually interacting with your product. And even though they may share this root problem they're trying to solve with your product, they're using your product in different ways. Like you cannot stop that from happening and it just creates chaos. And then suddenly you have you're being pulled in so many different directions while also trying to evolve and grow the right things with these customers banging on your product, breaking it, using it in very different ways. And now suddenly you have to decide how to evolve and grow it when you have so much more conflicting information. I think it's that's what kind of separates it, it from being more easily repeatable when, when if you follow processes and things like that. You're muted. I'm, I am. I'm going to try to paraphrase this here and tell me if I'm wrong. When you're releasing a new product, you're doing it based on these great assumptions. And then once the product is released and you actually see how people are using it and what they think of it, it's almost like what Mike Tyson said is everybody's got a plan until you get hit in the face. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we have this plan. We have all these assumptions about what's going to happen. And then we find personas and segments of the market we never thought about using our product. Why are you using my product? Right. Hey, yeah. place to find an adjacency, right? Maybe there's a problem we didn't understand that people are using it to solve. We need to understand those things. Maybe once they've solved one thing, a new thing comes along. 
And it's that ongoing life cycle management. Once we have something there, how do we evolve it? How do we iterate it? How do we prioritize where to go with it? When there are so many different things, I have found that with a new product, people don't have a ton of great ideas of what features it should have, right? Once you have a product out there and people have touched it, everybody has ideas of what we should do with it. And how do we take that and bring that in? Yeah. So Leia, great, great way to look at that. Dutch, if you're available, I'd love to get your take because you also, along with me, voted for product lifecycle management. Dutch had to jump. Oh no, sorry. I'm looking at DJ Daily. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. So Dutch, talk to me about your vote for product lifecycle management. You, you you talked about it a little bit in the in your Monday uh, answer as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, pretty much what I already said. You know, you it's it's um, it's not just about launching the right thing and launching it correctly. It's it's a matter of maintaining what you already have out there because uh, you know there's there's a saying it's it's not just about being it, well. How's it go? Um, you can be first to market, but being best to market is more important. Uh, a lot of a lot of times, it's the second or third uh, company or whatever that actually puts something out there that is what actually gets adopted. Uh, so it, it's that that ability to evolve on the fly. To once you start getting feedback, once you get punched in the face. To be right. able to, to start doing that. I love, I love that. I love that view for it. Jason yeah. Vincelet, uh, I'm going to go to you. Uh, you said go to market planning and execution uh, you thought was the hardest. And since you're on the call as one of the people who voted for that, I want to give you a chance to, to talk to your answer. Yeah, this one was tough because they all seemed right. <laughs> so that was one of the, um, man, I don't want to put other, because I never do that. You know that. So I was just thinking uh, in my headspace at the time was, um, you know, if a tree falls in the woods, does anybody hear it? And so you can have the best product, the best validated product. It's going to solve everybody's problems. But if you don't get it out there right and, and launch it correctly so people know how this is how to solve their problems with all the ways of getting this information in their hands, then you're not going to get any usage. And you've wasted a lot of R&D cycles and product lifecycle management in order to push this out there, this great thing, and you, you expect the returns from it. Um, and unfortunately, you're not going to get it. And it doesn't mean it's not the right thing. It probably is the most right thing. But without, pro without proper launching, um, can it really uh, ensure that it's getting um, the eyes and usage? I mean, the reality is these are all linked, right? Yeah, absolutely. Ideally, you want to have good product strategy with good product planning, with good go-to-market, with good lifecycle management. And I, mean, I, think that, I think that's how you get there. It's about where do we see the roadblocks happening the most? Corey... You were one of the people uh, who voted for product planning and execution. Uh, you said you hate the multiple part answers, but you're going to stick with what you think the answer is. So here's a fun exercise that I usually try to approach, which is, uh, let's say I, as a product person, come into a product today, new company, new job, whatever. And I want to talk to the team about changing the capitalization in the word feedback somewhere in our application. Somewhere in our application, there's a screen that says, give us feedback, ask your questions, do whatever. I want to change that from a lowercase f to a capital F. That's all I want to do. How long will it take me to do that? How long will it take you, the team, the system, the product, the company to get that through? Because that tells me how difficult it's going to be to make any type of change. Because reality is we're going to be wrong on a lot of things. 
right? If, if we're playing by baseball rules, 30% of the time we might be right. Uh, and that's good on what the customer problem is, how they use it, whether we whether they can make sense of it, the for product risk, all that stuff. Then the question becomes, how quickly can you react to that change? And if your reaction to that change, whatever that change is, takes months and sign-offs and committees and everything else, you're not going to be able to be responsive in the market, which means you're going to lose. So even Leah could do Leah could do everything right in pivoting and having the right ideas of how do we evolve this product, but if you can't take that capital F to market and launch it, there doesn't matter. So that becomes the bottom. I, I, you know, I I think what we're seeing is that any of these could be the bottleneck. I know that's the whole point of this exercise. Right. In, in, in Jason's view, the bottleneck is if a tree falls in the woods and nobody knows about it, is it there? Can we even sell the product? Yours is, I don't care if you pick the right things to build. If you can't get it through the system to actually build and deliver it, well, it doesn't it's, matter. It's worse than that. It's the notion that we know what the best thing to build is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, 100%. We're not wrong. We can't be wrong. We're, we're going to invest this time, this money, this budget, this, this team, whatever, and we're going to be right when we deliver it. But yep. you're not. <laughs> yeah. That's the big thing that I, I keep seeing people. It's like, we expect this to be 100% true. Everything we put on our roadmap, put on a plan, that's going to be delivered. That's going to be exactly what the user needs. Uh, and to everybody's point, they don't know that. Um, and so reacting, taking that into account of, we think this is the right thing to do, and we're going to get it in front of them to learn what we need to change once they see it. So for you, software is more like a song and less like a painting. Because every time you perform the song, you make a little revision here and there. Whereas with a painting, you paint a painting and now it's on a wall somewhere. It's forever where it was. I can agree with that, yes. Okay, I just thought that was a weird analogy. I, like I shouldn't have thrown it in there, but anyway. I like it. I like it makes sense to me. Well, you know, I, I, I rant about this in a different way. So many people do see software uh, or any content related product as being one and done. But we always encounter, I mean, software is never finished. Uh, I got it. I've had my book in the market, not that I'm pushing my book here. I've had my book in the market for probably four years. And I got an email today from somebody who found three typos. I can't tell you the number of times I have proofread this book. And I, I, I don't know how many people have read the book, but you know, here four years later, I'm still getting uh, typos found. Uh, and that's the way content is. It's not one and done. And, and, and you've even mm -hmm. evolved it to base it around the courts open framework. Once we've changed the court, when we created Indeed. the courts open framework, there's multiple times like that. Now, product strategy <laughs> had to the... be a plug there, Leah, but um, still. <laughs> product Software's strategy never... had the software is never finished. No, well, products are never finished. You should be trying to improve them, right? You should be trying yeah. to make them better. Find out what's, you know. Well, product I... strategy came in... Go ahead. I just wanted to say the part of the question, though, that what's hardest to make repeatable to me, the planning and execution, I mean, you can shift your release management cycles and you can tweak that and repeat it, repeat it and re release quickly. Like, I feel like that could be adjusted easily 
and then repeat it easily. So the if we said the biggest barrier to repeatable growth, maybe success, maybe that would be a different thing. And, and now we're we're Leah is fitting in just perfectly because she now knows how to wordsmith my uh, poll questions and, and figure out where we need to go. Uh, the biggest barrier strategy. is engineering. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Uh, strategy came in first with 42%. I'm going to hold on to get there. I want to see where uh, some of the people who hadn't voted when I took this, or at least whose pictures I can't recognize in the little icons in my graph. Richard Samella, have you vote? Did you vote? Have you voted? Where would you vote? I did vote. I voted go to market planning and execution. Um, I just I was didn't recognize your picture. That and product lifecycle management. Um, right, product lifecycle management is probably hardest when you're dealing with hardware and procuring components because you're constantly having to revise your your products to keep product moving out the door. Uh, but go-to-market planning and execution, that's where you're dependent upon your salespeople, your marketing team, your production control team to execute their parts of the plan uh, because your part's already done. Um, so you're really taking that out of your hands and putting that into the hands of someone else. It would be interesting to see how people voted and to see where they had the most friction in, the, in their past roles, right? So somebody who had more friction with sales and marketing might vote that the big hardest place to repeat is go to market. Somebody who had problems with development and delivery organizations might vote for planning and execution. Somebody who had issues with strategy and senior leadership support for alignment of strategy might vote for strategy. Uh, it just, but the way you talk about that, I could see how you could be, this answer to this question could be impacted by your experience, past experiences. Yeah, and then I just want to jump in on Corey's. Um, if somebody told me change the case of that F and how quickly could you get it done as a measure of your productivity, I'd say there's no value in changing the case of that F. Why would I? Why would I put any effort into doing that? Here I could right click on a file on the server and make the change, and lose my version control. But there's no value to a customer. None of them are going to care. I think that was an, he was using as an easy example just to judge how hard would it be to do something simple like that. But to but your point, he, he, yeah, he would. Those be, changes but... need to be value added. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Jason Weber, did you vote? I did. It just voted after you took your screenshot. Um, I said go to market planning and execution. I kind of looked at this a little differently than what people have talked about is that as a product manager or product management professional, where does my influence really stop? Or maybe not stop, but where does it diminish? So doing product strategy, I tend to have a lot of control over that so I can make that successful. Planning and execution, if I've got a good development team, you know, whatever, that's actually not as bad. Once you start getting the go-to-market execution, it gets way out of your realm of influence very quickly. And that's why I voted for that one. I just figured, in my experience, once you start getting into sales and, and marketing and that sort of a thing, you really have to spend a lot of time because none of those people, you don't work with those people every day, typically. You don't have the level of influence. So that's that's where I went with it. And I figured product lifecycle management, I still have a lot of control over that. So that was where my thoughts were. 
And a lot of those salespeople have shiny object syndrome. Well, they're coin operated. And so that's the shiny object. Exactly. Exactly. So um, we, I mean, everybody's coin operated to an extent, but you know, when you're commissioned and, and that, if you, you don't have that right in front of them, it's, it's going to be difficult and and you're not there. You need to scale. So. Yeah. I love it. Uh, To our strategy answer. And actually with that vote, Jason, you would have taken the go-to-market at 21% tied with product less cycle management. So uh, a lot of, a lot of varied in this answer. I want to go to this, the, the three people left on the call who all voted for strategy and joy. I'm going to start with you. Talk to me about how, why you chose product strategy. Um, I chose product strategy because when I looked at it, product planning and execution, like I get it. It's, I think it's a repeatable process. Um, create the right things, you know, find the product market fit, talk to customers and non-customers, get, you know, the pain points. I mean, follow a framework, go to market planning and execution. You got the user personas, you got the buyer personas, you know, find out what associations, you know, how they hear things. I mean, whatever. Product lifecycle management, we all know that, you know, soft, well, I'm always in software development. That's, an executable process that you can follow. But for me, when I see product strategy, I thought that to me is more like, maybe I was thinking of product strategy different, but strategy is like, where are we going to take this? It's more like listening to it's more gut feeling. It's more the CEOs coming up or, you know, the C-suite coming up with whatever partners they have or kickbacks. I don't know. Or, you know, are we going to acquire? Are we going to, you know, sell? I mean, I, I just felt like that was something that, and this may be more personal for me, product strategy, uh, I thought would be the hardest. That's my I, I, it, For me, it was between product lifecycle management and product strategy. And since product strategy had the most votes, I decided to go with product lifecycle management. <laughs> uh, Dominic, you also had product strategy. Yeah, and actually, um, yeah, to, to, to Joy's point, you know, most of the other answers were to me kind of, okay, uh, I can see it, you know, we have a process, I'm not too worried about it. Uh, when I looked at product strategy, um, I, I think the complexity to get there, you know, really understanding product market competition and whatnot, and, and most importantly, um, trying to balance, you know, different objectives that you may have, right? So you have customer satisfaction, obviously, you need, you know, business profitability, you have innovation, and then your publicly traded company is like, okay, what, what, you know, how, how do I align? How do I put my product strategy, you know, in, in all this environment? And that's why, you know, I, I think depending upon where you are, I don't think that can be a repeatable process identical in all different companies, right? I mean, that's, that's to me, that was the point. You know what? Something you just said really resonated with me. We back to sort of what I was saying earlier. Probably where you've seen the most friction in your company is probably could be where people might vote. I'm looking at it. Who is most likely to have their own repeatable process as a stakeholder? Development, yes. Marketing mm-hmm. and sales, yes. Senior leadership, no. There is no so. I, I could easily, if I want to win this competition, which sometimes I do, could easily switch my vote to product strategy because I think that's where there's the best 
the, the least consistency that we'd be dealing with, engaging with uh, yeah. at that point. And the industry hey. supports you on that, by the way. Yeah. Uh, leadership says innovation is critical to their future. Uh, on like, you know, massive numbers, like 85%, and less than 20% feel that they have a process for innovation. So it's not just, I read a magazine on an airplane, uh, or God spoke to me in a dream, There, there's an actual process here. Yeah, and that's such a critical process to have. May, you also voted for this. Any Any last thoughts that weren't talked about on product strategy or are you changing your vote i'm not changing my vote um so so as the person who comes in and looks at like where things are broken the the key word here is repeatable right so it means you've ideally already achieved some form of product success in the past or are about to get there or you know successful enough right yep. but um all of the different places where people are feeling um friction there are things you can do to make a kind of like a repeatable bridge between those gaps. Where you cannot possibly ever repeat really is an effective product strategy, right? There, there is no such thing because every time you come up with a new strategy to adapt to the changing market or to adapt to the world around you, um, you got to sell it again. There is no way to sell something again if it's completely new. You got to you got to go and like think about what are the things that has changed? Why do these people care? But it's not there's no formula. There, there's yeah. nothing about it that can be repeated. And I think it's dangerous to think about this as a process you can implement to try to sell product strategy because like product strategy isn't about what we're going to build next, right? Product strategy is a part of that, but it's what we're going to build next, but also how we're going to go to market with it, right? Like it's, it's across all of the different teams. So I think it's important to say, yeah, it's, it is all of these things, but if you have people dedicated to thinking about how do these teams work together if this bridge is broken, um, then it, it gets easier. But like, I, I've noticed that a lot of the people who said like all the other things are generally product leaders and all the people are thinking product strategy. Well, a lot of us are like more of the product ops hats, right? Like, cause we deal with the things that are repeatable that can be fixed, but- um, and, and it's hardest to make see... strategy repeatable. Yeah, I know, like your product leaders, your jobs are hard. We recognize that. That's why our role exists to help you build bridges. So that's yeah. why I pick product strategy because I recognize product leadership is hard. No, I, 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 and I, I tend to be on the place where product strategy is. I, you know, product lifecycle management in a way is product strategy, iterating that product strategy. It's where you make those changes happen. So a different way to look at it. <clears throat> We're, boy, this conversation has been going great. We do have, I want to get to one question before we get, I guess I went all the way to the lightning round, didn't I? Never mind. Uh, I hit, didn't hit the right button. Here we are. I know how to use this thing now. Uh, we're going to go quick with this, get some people's input. We may not get to everybody before we get to the lightning round. What role should product management play in making product success repeatable? We've talked about how all these, you know, partners were collaborating with people working with, but how, do, what role should product management be playing? In, in making product success repeatable? The godfather. <laughs> Expand. 
you should oversee everything <laughs> and be influencing everyone in all departments to make And so while I'm at the christening of my godchild, I've got all my technical yeah. product managers taking out development and my product marketing managers taking out marketing. Yep, exactly. I'm, Take I'm going back. to the end of Godfather Part <laughs> 1. So we need to be across everything. We need to be, Steve, I think this is where you use the orchestra conductor, right? Mm -hmm. Bringing all the yeah. pieces together. I, you know, I think that in most organizations, the product manager is the only one who sees the whole score. Everybody is seeing their individual parts. You know, I talk to a guy is, uh, or I, you know, the last five people I talked to when I was in sales became reality, but they don't see oh, this stuff's hard to do in development. Or development says, it wouldn't be that hard. We just have to make this one change and put out a hot fix. But wait a minute, what about communicating to the customer? So only it seems in most organizations, product management is the only one who sees all the parts. So part of our job then is to help other people understand their role in the whole symphony to continue. Agreed. To yes, you're a trumpet player. Stop trying to play percussion. I, I, no I good at it, and we've got people for that. Godfather, uh, symphony director, I like that. Other thoughts before we head to the, what role should product management play in making product success repeatable? So, Corey. I'm biased, but I think product management should be leading it. Yep. Not well, just overseeing it. Director. Not just overseeing, but leading. Leading, yes. Not so involved. Not involved, not not take your racing metrics and throw it out the fucking window, leading it. Coordinate. Like the conductor. Like the conductor. Yeah. So we need to be product leaders. And what is the old Warren Bennis thing? You know, management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. And does that take us right back to our product strategy? You just missed the word growth from your name there, Grant. <laughs> yes. Uh, any last thoughts on this question before we go to the lightning round? I think I even saw some celebrations in the, in the emojis. I think everybody's on board with it. Uh, our lightning round question this week is what word or phrase is the key to achieving repeatable product success? What word or phrase is the key to achieving Repeatable product success. I'm going to start with Richard. Trust. Trust. Ooh, I like that one. All right. Dutch. Oh, I am unmuted. Sorry. Uh, I don't know. I'll be honest. I wasn't paying attention. I don't remember what the question is. <laughs> don't take up time what, with me. <laughs> what, what word or phrase will come back to you? What word or <laughs> phrase, Joy, is key to achieving repeatable product success? Flexibility. Trust, flexibility. Dominic. Team sport. Team sport. Love it. Jason. Uh, sorry, Jason Vincelet. Oh, passion. Passion. Jason Weber. Tenacity. Tenacity. Leah Campbell. Reiteration. 
Reiteration. I like that. Or is, is reiteration or just iteration? Iteration, I guess. <laughs> and I then love reiteration that. after that. <laughs> Dutch. Collaboration. Collaboration. I love it. Corey, I know you had your answer. Did anybody steal it? No. Flow. Flow. Oh. May. People. People. Wow. That didn't steal my answer at all. Now Steve's going to steal my answer. No, I'll try not to. Um, how about clarity of roles? Clarity of roles. I like that. I'm going to go with relentless market focus, right? Always out, always in the market, learning and growing. My, my successes, my career always came from my ability to be out there learning and growing and evolving what we do in our product strategy based on that. So relentless market focus uh, for me. What are some great pieces in there uh, and, and some great answers. And I'll, as always, we have these wonderful calls every week. Uh, a lot of things for me to think about with product success. Uh, I, I love the product strategy discussion we had on the poll, uh, but every week, you guys make me think, you guys push my thinking, you make me change my mind and I appreciate for that. So Richard Joy, Dominic, Jason Vincelet, and Jason Weber, Leah Campbell, Dutch DeVries, Corey, May Wong and my partner, Steve Johnson. Thank you so much for an amazing conversation. We do this every week, Monday, the question goes in the community, Wednesday, the poll and Friday, we have these amazing calls. <clears throat> Thank you so much. We'll see you guys next week in the community. Have a good weekend, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. For more great content and to participate in the Topic of the Week conversations, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation.